I more than hope, I firmly believe that the United States is going to end the death penalty and that someday we're going to look back and we won't even believe that we ever carried out executions. Um, Pope John Paul II called it cruel and unnecessary. I thought that was probably about the best summary that you could could do for the death penalty. And I think a big part of what I hope that I've been able to do is running the campaign that ended the death penalty in New Jersey by just going around the country and talking to the wonderful people who are doing this work around the country um, to help them believe they can do it. So at the end of the day, we've got to believe, right? Welcome to the Legacy Project. My name is Jim Koppel, president of the Servant Ford Foundation. We're an organization committed to leadership development with a specific focus on service. This podcast and its related activities are about sharing the legacy we have inherited and discussing the legacy we still want to create. Legacy is more than cars, houses, boats, and material possessions that we want to leave to the next generation. Other legacy is about core values and beliefs that we inherited from a previous generation. They are the values that shaped us and defined us. Legacy is also about the values we develop or create that can be passed on or shared with the next generation. We will interview people from various backgrounds and walks of life. Some are famous, some, well, maybe not so famous, and others are simply our neighbors, our friends, people who live ordinary lives doing extraordinary things. Become part of this project by being intentional about legacy. More than just memories, but principles that have guided our lives and shaped our decisions. What is the legacy you choose to create? That's what we want to discover. Okay, this is Jim Koppel with The Legacy Project. We have the honor and distinct pleasure today of introducing and interviewing uh, Celeste Fitzgerald. Celeste is involved in the death penalty, abolishing the death penalty in this country, and she currently lives in Florida where she works with the Floridians Alternative to Death Penalty, right? And um, she has an interesting background, an interesting perspective that I think uh, many of you will enjoy and benefit from. So Celeste, where were you born? I was born in in, uh, Long Island, Nassau County, Long Island. So you were in the Northeast most of your life and career? Yep. Yeah. Uh, born and raised in New York and then moved to New Jersey when I got uh, about seven years after I got married. You have siblings? I do. Two brothers. Two brothers. What do they do? Uh, my older brother is just retired from a long career in insurance. Um, and my younger brother is uh, a sort of consultant for big companies finding people to work for them, but he's not a headhunter. I don't really understand what he does. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's true with most of our siblings. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my my, uh, my brother looks at me quite often given the work I do. So you work in HIV, AIDS, police reform. Uh, you'll always have a job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you'll always be employed. Uh, so what did your parents do? My father was an insurance uh, executive, um, vice president with a home insurance company, and my mom was a homemaker. Homemaker. Stay-at-home mom, huh? Stay-at-home mom. What kind of faith tradition did you come from? I grew up Catholic. You grew up Catholic. So so you're involved and have been involved and been very successful, actually, in the work to abolish the death penalty in this country, Mm -hmm. and uh, particularly in New Jersey. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. 
So what is it in your life or in your background that served as a catalyst for abolishing, for wanting to get involved in abolishing the death penalty? You know, I get asked that a lot, and it, and I struggle to, to really understand why the death penalty spoke to my heart and why I felt like I ought to at least try to end it. Um, and the, the best thing I can really come up with is that I've always been very sensitive to suffering. Um, you know, it, it is probably because, you know, my father was, went to Jesuit schools, Regis and high school in New York city and Fordham university and was on a racial justice committee in Fordham and, um, was always involved in, we had a lot of talks when I was growing up about civil rights and racial justice and, um, just justice, social justice, you know, in the Jesuit tradition, if you will. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so, you know, I'm just someone who, when I see suffering, um, I feel like I need to do something about it. I'm probably the last person that could ever go into service in terms of providing service, right? But I'm really good behind the scenes, you know, yeah. trying to change policy. Um, and I'm very impatient. Um, I like to achieve change um, and to do it very strategically and with a goal in mind and to achieve that goal. Um, I guess I shouldn't say I'm, in, I'm impatient now as an older person, but when I was younger, I was pretty patient. <laughs> so were these the kinds of conversations you would have around your dinner table when you were growing up? Or yes. Those, those topics would often surface. Yes. And yes. so you saw that exemplified in your the values of your parents? Yes. Grandparents? Did you know your grandparents? Yeah. You know, I don't. Um, my father's father died very young. Um, my father's mother, I now know, was quite involved in um, helping other people, particularly um, even though she had very little money after her father, uh, her husband died, um, single working mom in New York City, um, she helped some young girls go to college. Mm -hmm. um, and she would sp send them small checks. I have letters of thanks um, written to her. So um, I know, yeah. What about teachers? Teachers in the family? Uh, oh, my teachers. Mm, I can't think of one. Can't Isn't that awful? No. It's interesting. Yeah. And you went to Catholic school? I went school? to Catholic school. There yeah. was, um, I was in a sodality in grade school, mm -hmm. St. Anne's in Garden City. Um, and uh, Father Farley mm -hmm. was an influence. Mm -hmm. And where did you go to college? I went to college one year at St. John's. Uh -huh. um, my dad got transferred and I had been dating my husband. He flew out. Um, at one point asked me to marry him and I got married. So mm -hmm. I, I didn't continue in college. Although I did go back um, when I was working full time when my kids were a little older um, and went to a year at Rutgers University. Mm -hmm. So you never completed a degree? Did not complete a degree. I have about two years under my belt. You know, it's funny. Colleen, my wife, is in the same situation as you. She uh, went to BYU, Brigham Young University, mm -hmm. for two years. And in fact, she was under consideration for a presidential appointment and didn't get it because she didn't finish college. Oh, my. Yeah, which is just crazy. It's crazy, Because given yeah. the contribution that she's made in the field and the contribution you've made in the field. Well, and it never held me back. In fact, if if anything, my work on the death penalty became so, um, you know, mm -hmm. all-encompassing that 
I actually had to stop going to school in order to continue the campaign. So you write proposals. I write proposals. Yeah. How did you learn to do that? Um, Well, my work on the death penalty, I was, I was a real estate agent when I got very sick with a benign brain tumor and um, the surgery was kind of a big deal and it took me a while to recover. While I was recovering, um, I, that's when I got contacted by a um, man whose daughter was murdered. Uh, he was a retired legal aid attorney who um, wanted to end the death penalty. And um, his story is quite incredible. And um, so I actually went to um, a church basement meeting with five individuals and we started New Jerseyans for Alternatives to the Death Penalty. Um, at that time, I had to go back to work. I had been a real estate agent, didn't want to go back to selling real estate. So I um, I went and, and started writing proposals for KPMG. I was a administrator of a consulting practice there, um, but it was an engineering practice and they needed someone who could write to help work with the engineers and big proposals yeah so you're good at developing budgets and objectives and goals and oh yeah. Le- yeah well i learned it there and also um at uh, an org- national organization called equal justice usa hired me as their first field organizer after i had started in new jersey on the death penalty and um so i left kpmg for what i call my near volunteer work at at uh, equal justice usa um and really learned everything about strategy from from equal justice USA it's a remarkable organization so what does a field organizer do in the line of work especially on the death penalty sure. so I ran their um, field office which basically meant I ran my own work um, and I would help the local groups my three states were New Jersey, my own state, um, New Jersey, New York, and Pennsylvania, and help them think through their needs, um, their goals, you know, take them through a strategic process, everything from, you know, what is your goal? What are your objectives? You know, who can give you the objectives? What do they need to hear? Who can tell them what they need to hear? You know, all right, now that you have the strategy, you know, how, how are you, what do you need staffing wise and, and toolbox wise to get this strategy done? And then how do you fund it? Like through the whole, um, the whole process your classic strategy process, it, it works quite effectively. So I'm curious, you yourself have never really had a um, family member or close friend facing the death penalty or have you? No, but um, it's interesting you ask because after I started working on the death penalty, um, I started in 1999 um, and uh, on September 11, 2001, my husband's cousin, first cousin was, was killed in the World Trade Center. It was a um, very odd crashing together is the only way I can think of to explain it of my work and personal life. Um, Mm -hmm. Very painful for our family. Um, And, uh, and so I did experience that loss. And I was, um, I I just adored her. Everybody did. She was a remarkable, Anne McGovern, remarkable person. Um, And then um, a few years after that, our pastor um, was murdered by the school custodian 
a few doors down at St. Patrick's Church in Chatham. Um, and Father Ed was um, a big um, influence on me. And he he had nominated me for an award. He had lobbied with me on the death penalty. Um, oddly, uh, about a year before he was murdered, um, I had given a talk at a Catholic Charities Dinner where I got a, an award that he nominated me for. And, um, and my talk was about what I had learned about human dignity from families of murder victims and from uh, the wrongfully convicted. And, uh, you know, I, I just, again, it felt like my life, my personal life and my um, professional life was kind of crashing together. I also knew Jose, the man who was arrested for his murder. Yeah. Um, and he was sentenced under the um, alternative sentence um, because it was considered a, a crime with aggravating circ- circumstances. It would have been a death penalty case. So how do you how do you fuel your empathy um, and your passion uh, for this issue, this topic? Uh, I mean, I, I find in the Legacy Project, as we interview people, that their greatest joy is when they can bring their empathy or their passion together with what they do every day. Mm-hmm. How do you do that? It's it's actually, it's a gift if you can mm-hmm. marry together your, your passion and your empathy. Um, I find that it, it brings me joy every time I think about a step that I have to take strategically or, you know, in one way or another for work where I, I am able to remind myself that, the issue is front and center. And if I keep in mind the goal, what I'm trying to do and why, then I'll almost always ta- make the right decision. You know, if, if you put the people that are impacted at the center and when it comes to the death penalty, I don't think that um, people really think beyond the person who's harmed and the person who has committed the harm um, to all the other impacts that the death penalty has um, on our communities. Um, and further, I don't, I think there's a lot of assumptions about murder victims' families and what they want and need. You know, so many, I've worked with, you know, at this point, hundreds of murder victims' families over the years, over the last 20 years. And what I hear all the time is people tell us what we need. Um, they never ask. Um, so, you know, when I meet these extraordinary people who, despite their loss, are speaking out, and, and regardless of how they feel on the death penalty, every victim's family member I've ever met wants to make sure it doesn't happen to some, someone else, right? Um, they're just incredible people. Um, same with the folks who are wrongfully convicted. Yeah. Um, the, the generosity of spirit keeps me going every day. Yeah. We're talking with uh, Celeste Fitzgerald, who's working with the Floridians for alternatives to the death penalty here in Florida. She was very active in this work and uh, largely responsible for helping develop legislation in New Jersey uh, to find alternatives to the death penalty. Um, so you've, you're creating a huge legacy. What do you want your children to know about you? That's a great question. I would, uh, 
that I tried first and foremost, that, you know, I, I took my empathy, if you will, and I acted on it. Mm-hmm. Um, when I saw an injustice, I did something about it. Um, there's so many issues that to me are um, difficult ones, right? You know, you can name so many of them and you can see a lot of different sides. I feel like the death penalty was very glaringly unjust. Mm-hmm. It went against every principle I have, you know, every moral value, value I have. Um, so it was an easy call for me to make that decision in the end to, to you know, leave a career and, and, and work on it. So I tried and I acted, I guess. Mm-hmm. Great. So in our lives, <laughs> we um, have symbols or icons that remind us of where we came from. I actually have a, a black box that my father gave me. And inside that black box, it's actually an old medical kit. Uh, from the Second World War. And in that black box, I have an admission letter from Harvard University. I have an ex-wife wedding ring. (laughs) I have a whole bunch of little symbols or icons that describe who, where I came from, what I do. What are some of the icons in your life that remind you of your past and of what shaped you? In eighth grade at St. Anne's School in Garden City, um, they gave each of us a plaque um, upon graduation. And my and you didn't know what plaque you were going to get or what the quote was going to be. And my plaque was a quote from Bobby Kennedy, um, the famous one, each time a man stands up for an ideal, he sends forth a tiny ripple of hope. I still have it. Actually, my son has it. Um, at one point, when he got his first apartment, I was so thrilled to see it prominently <laughs> displayed in his bedroom. So for whatever reason, that plaque spoke to me in eighth grade and continues to speak to my son, Jeff, um, clearly. Hopefully, he'll he'll leave it to our grandson, uh, his nephew, Alexander. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. That's a great legacy icon. I often define hope as that experience which pulls us into the future. Mm-hmm. And that's not an abstract idea. It's an experience mm-hmm. where you have give voice to it. As you continue your work and the legacy that you've inherited, the legacy you are currently creating, what's your hope? Oh, I, I more than hope, I firmly believe that the United States is going to end the death penalty and that someday we're going to look back and we won't even believe that we ever carried out executions. Um, Pope John Paul II called it cruel and unnecessary. I thought that was probably about the best summary um, that you could could do for the death penalty. So, and and I think a big part of what I hope that I've been able to do is is by end you know running the campaign that ended the death penalty in New Jersey by just going around the country and talking to the wonderful people who are doing this work around the country um, to help them believe they can do it. So at the end of the day, we've got to believe, right? Yeah. So Stephen Covey wrote a book a number of years ago called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Uh, The second habit is living with the end in mind. And he has you go through this little exercise of imagining if you attend your funeral today, what would people say about you? And then he asks you if you had the opportunity over the next 10 years to have to shape what it is they would say about you. What would you want them to say 10 years from now? And so my question is, at your funeral, 
what do you want people to say about you? So I have a new grandson. That's the only thing that comes to mind is that she was a great grandmother. (laughs) (laughs) It's so front and center. What can I say? That little face, Alexander, you know, um, that she at the end of the day, really what matters to me right now more than anything is that my kids would say she was a great mom. Um, If my husband outlives me and he probably will uh, because he's in great shape, um, that I was a good wife and Absolutely. I hope I'm a kick-ass grandmother. Yeah, that's great. I have a grandson who is uh, eight years old, and he said to me not too long ago, he said, you're the best grandpa ever. And I said, well, how many grandpas have you known? He goes, I think you're the only one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a high standard, but that, that is a good standard to, to, to work for. Well, we've been talking with Celeste Fitzgerald, who is very active in the ending the death penalty in this country and uh, has had some great involvement and successes and met some incredible people. Okay, I've got to ask this uh, because there are people who follow me on this podcast that know my passion for Bruce Springsteen. You've met Bruce Springsteen. I have met Bruce Springsteen. Tell me about that. Well, (laughs) yeah, uh, I was invited to table for New Jerseyans for Alternatives to the Death Penalty. I brought my son and his friend Mo um, with me. And uh, Bruce's manager came up and said he would like to meet you. Um, And so I got to ride on this very fancy elevator that I guess people don't get to go on in Madison Square Garden, where the all I could think of is the Knicks go on this, (laughs) the New York Knicks travel on this elevator. And um, I met Bruce um, and his band, and he actually handed me his playlist for that night, which was on a piece of paper, just handwritten. Um, And uh, he invited us to hang out on the stage in the background, and we did. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, I've been to 18 of his concerts, and um, uh, I'm impressed. If nothing else you've ever done, I'm impressed. That's that's really my claim to fame. I mean, really. Do you still have the playlist? Let's be real. I don't. So the gal from New Yorkers Against the Death Penalty was a big Bruce fan. Uh-huh. I have to admit, I was not. And uh-huh. so she was freaked out. And so I gave it to her. But I will say that when he saw us, he knew there was New York and New Jersey. He said, so who's from Jersey? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's, that's the right question. And you had the right answer. Well, Celeste, thank you so much for participating in the oh, Legacy Project podcast. And I appreciate the work you're doing and the legacy you've inherited, but the legacy you are creating and you're continuing to create it. And uh, this is an important issue in this country. And I, like you, I hope at some point we look back and go, what were we thinking? Oh, we will. Trust me on that. Yeah. It's great. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Celeste. To find out more information about this conversation and other legacy podcast episodes, go to servantforge.org. Please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and consider leaving us a review. We want to hear from you. We want to get your ideas and your opinions. I have a new book that corresponds with a legacy project titled The Seeker, Bring Me the Horizon. You can find a copy of it on Amazon or your preferred book distributor. The book corresponds closely with these podcasts. The podcast episode was produced by Matt Erickson and edited by Carissa Erickson. The music is by David Hyde. Please look for a new episode of our podcast coming out soon. Remember, you have inherited a great legacy. You have an opportunity to create a great legacy. Engage your past 
to build a future.